Welcome to Torch, a podcast dedicated to all things Freeblades. We're glad you're here because this podcast is for you, the community of Phelan. And now, here are your impetuous High Quester hosts, Dan Rains and Jennifer Felix. Hey everybody, welcome to the Torch Podcast, episode four. So I'm here, your host, Dan, along with your, your co-host, Jennifer. We also have two guests with us today. We have Andrew uh, Potter and Colin Scott with us. Hi, everyone. This is Andrew Potter. Hey, everyone. Colin Scott. So these two uh, made it through the final selection, uh, the the second day of the North American tournament that we had a couple weeks ago. So uh, we wanted to bring them on to the show to kind of talk about their lists, what they took, why they took what they did, you know, why they chose that faction, and then tell us a little bit about how each of their events went. And, you know, I also played in it, and it was my first Freeblades tournament that I did go undefeated in, in case you didn't know. Um, and I played Haredell, and that's because that's the only faction that I had painted at the time. <laughs> so, um, Colin, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, my is Colin Scott. Um, I've been playing Freeblades since 2018. I'm also a quester for Freeblades. I picked up miniatures gaming quite a bit earlier. Um, been playing miniatures since I was about 14. Um, various game systems through the Games Workshop line and others. So I've got a pretty extensive knowledge of various game systems and sometimes get them confused, honestly. Um... But yeah, other than that, I, I really enjoy skirmish games. I really like the game of Freeblades and the product that DGS has made. Nice. Um, and Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, uh, I've been playing Freeblades, I want to say, since like 2015 or 2016, something like that. So I saw the beautiful cases at Adepticon and got hooked that way. I think a lot of people see them at conventions and get hooked that way. Uh, generally, I've been playing miniatures games since I want to say I was four or five years old in like 1990 because our older brother was 10 years older than us and he wanted somebody to play with. Adepticon's a great convention and um, I think Colin also got into Freeblades through a convention, isn't that right? Yeah, um, I was wandering Gen Con in 2014 and I walked past the table for Freeblades and I opted into a demo just on the spot. And unfortunately, I didn't get to really build a community until 2018, but I kept the game kind of in mind, having enjoyed the demo so much and really enjoyed uh, John's hosting of that demo and the way I was treated, the way I was brought in. Good. I know that that's one of the key things for DGS. Uh, Jennifer, you can probably speak to it a little bit better about how they travel to conventions and to stores to help uh, solicit their product and introduce new people to it. Yeah, absolutely. A quick demo game is really the best way to showcase how the game works. And, you know, Julie has this fantastic scripted demo that's maybe 15, 20 minutes. It's even up on our YouTube channel. So even if you can't make it to the cons, you can still watch us play through that. But just lets you see our game mechanic, gives you an idea of the balance and some of the awesome things that can happen in the game. Well, good. Um... I know I love to travel to conventions. Uh, it's really been a bummer this year with COVID. It's changed the way that miniatures has been done. And 
this program called Tabletop Simulator that's been out for f- several years has actually come to the forefront, allowing us to be able to play together. Um, it's been pretty amazing. And I know uh, that BJ worked really hard to get a lot of stuff together to for Freeblades and loaded into Tabletop Simulator to make this tournament happen. And then Matt Bundy taking the initiative to run it and get everything done. It was really good. I was I was really surprised with how easy it went because I had bought Tabletop Simulator a few years ago and tried to play a game on it and was just like lost and then was able to watch Matt's videos here and picked it right up. How do you two feel uh, Tabletop Simulator went? Uh, I yeah, I really should Tabletop Simulator. Um, it's great what it allows us to do um, for being able to play when we wouldn't normally or wouldn't otherwise be able to. And it, I do really appreciate things like getting to play people like Andrew, who, frankly, he's 10, 12 hours away from me by car. Um, and I wouldn't get to play against people like him or Matt or some of the other big names around. But on the flip side, some of the mechanics of the tabletop simulator itself, I, I could do without. Some of the dice mechanics drive me into the wall. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I cut you off, Andrew. Go ahead. Oh, no, no worries. Yeah, I, I'm not a video gamer, and, I mean, fuck me, Matt took 10 minutes out of one day to explain everything to me, and it seemed to work pretty well, but uh, overall, I think it's a pretty good system. There are definitely some instances, like the game between Colin and I, where dice go really hot and really cold, but generally, I think it's about the best you're going to do to uh, fill the void and give you opportunities to play people who never get to play otherwise. Yeah, because I can't wait for next year, hopefully, knock on wood, that we all get to hang out at Adepticon or, or Gen Con and get a game together. That would be fantastic. Um, I guess my, my final takeaway on Tabletop Simulator, and this takes this is nothing about BJ cause, and all the work he's done, because that's been amazing, him and Matt have done amazing work here. Um, it's better than the alternative of having no gaming. That's, That's a fact. My, my ultimate takeaway on Tabletop Simulator. Yes, I would agree that it's much, much, much better than uh, no gaming. And BJ did wonderful work setting it up. Um, let's uh, talk about the tournament then. So, Colin, why don't you tell us about the faction that you played, why you picked them? So I picked the Eclipse Sisterhood. Um, I really like the Eclipse because played well, and I'd like to think I play them well. Uh, you can exert a lot of control on the game between your ability to engage from it from outside of your enemy's ability to react, as well as the amount of elusive and blade dancer and harasser that you have, where you can use the faction to set up more uneven combats than almost any other faction in the game. And by an uneven combat, I mean, I'm talk- I'm denying you the fights that you want to have, and then I'm collapsing two to three models onto a single model to try and destroy them outright in one turn. And then I can use that type of techniques to pick apart a list from you know a model at a time. That's good. What did you uh, What did you end up taking in your list? So my list, I had led it with a nemesis, the standard leader. Um, I had a shadow dancer, a night whisper, a battle sister, a secret sister, 
And then for followers, um, to lay back up, uh, Caster, I took the standard Sun Eater. For followers, I had two Rebel Maidens, uh, one Throat Seeker, two Untamed, and one Manhunter. And what was your thought process behind picking those specific heroes? All right, so we'll start with the leader. Uh, I like the Nemesis quite a bit for the D12 plus one. It makes her really hard to fight uh, for most leaders that don't have that plus one. Between that and Deceptive Strike, she can be relatively difficult for a uh, leader, even another leader character, to fight in melee one-on-one. Additionally, with Contained and Active Defense, it helps prevent somebody from trying to use Blade Dancer and similar skills to try and keep up with my list, doing the same thing to them. For the Sun Eater, I really like Energy Casters. I like the control they bring uh, with the Void Wall, with the uh, ability to block line of sight completely, or take somebody's line of sight completely away. I also really like her ability to put a model into ambush. I can use that to get a model out of a bad situation, or I can use it to get a model across the table, crossing the table without having to face uh, maybe enemy fire or being intercepted. As far as the rest of the heroes, the Shadow Dancer and the Night Whisperer are both the keys to the list in that they are my Blade Dancer and Harasser, um, respectively. What those abilities let me do is let somebody charge into them, and then I can walk out of that combat into something else, allowing me to free them up or even create those uneven matchups. The Battle Sisters in there, because of course, not knowing the tournament um, scenarios, often you need to hold a point. And a Battle Sister is really the only armored model available to Eclipse, outside of, say, taking a uh, mercenary of some kind. She, with her large shield, putting her at six uh, defense, and her armor of five, she can actually stand and hold a point without having to dance away from it. So I kind of use her as an anchor, in the situations where I need that. Uh-huh. And then finally, the secret sister, uh, she comes at, her main thing is I can use her as an opportunist. I can have her pop up and try and uh, eliminate a model or damage a model from a direction that my opponent wasn't expecting. Also, opponents are more used to those things. I can force an opponent to move to have to cover all those possible entry points. Because they're, they become so worried about the ambush that they actually will react to it even without me employing them. Yep, sometimes it's controlling your opponent's moves with just your abilities or the thought, the threat that it could happen. Yep. And then another big piece of the list, um, the followers, especially the untamed. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'd almost rather have had more untamed than uh, the, Rebel, the Rebel Maidens, but I brought the list that I actually have painted. Um, but the Untamed, with their ability to count as two models in melee, really help you set up um, trying to eliminate targets. They have two attacks, and they count as two models, so you can take an average hero down to two or so defense, uh, maybe three if they have a shield. So you're starting to look at almost auto-hit, or all that, you know, all that Tarch will hit. And it also helps a lot with stacking some of your other things like your Secret Sister's ability to get uh, critical hits on fives if they have a friend. Well, that becomes a lot easier when their defense is down to two or three. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, with your list, 
Was there any list you were afraid you were going to face? Yeah. Unfortunately, that was Andrew Potter, and I faced it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we'll I talk about it feels more. CJ. Well, um, we'll talk about it more um, when we discuss day two a little bit. Uh-huh. The short version is when the lists were posted two or three weeks before the tournament, I looked at Andrew's list and picked it out as if I face that, I will almost certainly lose. Well, some things manifest, and some things are meant to be. So, um, Andrew, why don't you tell us about your faction and your list? Uh, Yeah, I I went with the Mershale. I've loved the fluff of the Mershale since before they had miniatures. Uh, Back in the day when I just had the physical rule book, there were a couple snippets in there. Uh, that really stood out to me. They kind of use, they're a very small country, um, on the same continent as the Trazerites, who are, you know, the former Rome of the world, and they're still a very huge power. I mean, they dominate the continent of the world, and the Mershale kind of use uh, illusion and misdirection spells to confuse and confound the Trazerites whenever they invade, and that's just. Uh, really cool to me, and also I kind of think of them as like Viking Samurais, which is like Viking Samurais, um, just kind of from the fluff perspective of how they are. Uh, my list, I went with, a, I utilized one of the uh, special rules in the game where you can elevate other heroes in your army lists into an alternative leader. So, because one of the goals and one of the things I wanted to do during the game was kind of, or the tournament, was feature this uh, the Takar Hunter as a leader. I, I just love that model and kind of the fluff surrounding him. Um, so, I utilize the Takar Hunter leader, which makes him a little bit more powerful than a standard uh, Takar Hunter. Um, uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to do that was I just wanted to see and try out one of the possible combos. Uh, that's available uh, for newer players. If you don't, if you don't move and you just receive a charge, uh, you can split your attack dice into different die levels. Uh, the Dakar Hunter leader starts with a D12 attack, and uh, so you can divide that down into three attacks, three die four attacks. Uh, there's also spell available through the Mender spellcaster that I took that allows you to raise your attack rating by two levels, so you can actually that into uh, four die four attacks and then some of the other special rules on the model allow them to almost always attack first if they get charged and then not always but almost most of the time and then you can also use his bird to kind of uh, either as an extra attack or lower the opponent's defense by two so if you get charged by somebody with a four defense uh, and you're rolling four die four you can hit on 75% of your attacks and he's got D10 damage sword. So I just want to try that out a few times, see how that worked. Um, and then I also took the Mender, the standard spellcaster for the Michelle. Uh, I really like her spell list generally. She's got a spell that allows you to add one to any die roll. She can heal wounds. She can increase your melee attacks or your range attacks. She can also summon things to... Uh, especially in lists like this where the average hero is, I would say, more expensive than lots of lists. You're going to be outnumbered a little bit, so you can use some models to kind of hit somebody and keep them pinned down for a turn or something like that, or even have some do wounds on them, although that doesn't happen too often. 
Um, as far as heroes themselves, I took two Reef Kindred and two dismounted Richter cars. Uh, both of them come with that same sword as the leader, uh, which is a very good sword. It comes with the same special rules, allowing to usually attack first if you get charged. And they're both very good. Uh, not very good, but solid melee fighters, and they also come with bow attacks, which they're oh, they're not great, but um, if you get charged, you can shoot and attack before the other person gets any attacks normally, uh, which is, I just wanted to try that out. I know John made the connection in the last episode of Tarsh to a previous list I'd run for a couple tournaments utilizing the Trillions, uh, with their with a bunch of uh, blade dismounted blade riders doing that faction, they have the blade dancer rule, which is one of my all time favorite rules, uh, um, and also some bows. So, so it was a kind of comparable list, uh, a little bit different special rules throughout. And for uh, floors, I have three sentinels who come with um, kind of uh, similar. They come with like. I think it's Najana's, I think it's pronounced. Uh, they come off. They come with um, the standoff rule, and they can fight through the heroes in support contact, or if they get charged, they can attack first. Uh, but generally, you want to use your followers as kind of add-ons to combats. Yeah, we saw your list doing a lot of shooting. <laughs> I know there was a lot of people talking about that. That seemed to be a surprise to most people. Why? Why? Why do you think that is? Uh, yeah, there's. A, I'd say generally shooting. Um, I know is one off. Is not. I think it's purposely designed to be a little, little powerful. Um, shooting, I like to use for kind of aerial denial and to pick off followers uh, because they're a lot easier to kill with shooting or weaker heroes. Uh, there's certain limitations built into the game system that you need you gotta work around with that. Um, and one of the ways to kind of come over, come on those limitations is through like the Mender spell list, which uh, the one spell you can add plus one any friendly die roll. I don't know how many times if rolls a shooting attack. Your free blades have been one off uh, the number I needed. So I, th I think that's a very handy spell or there's also the spell that allows you to increase your range of attack rating by two dice levels, which makes it more likely you're going to hit those required numbers. And for the list that you took, just out of curiosity, do you actually own the models that you took in the digital tournament? Kindreds, I believe. I own the Spellcaster. I own the Leader. Uh, I don't think I need the Richter cars yet. And I have two Zinals, but I don't think I have three. All right. I was just wondering, since uh, I know Colin said he took a list that he had painted, so... Well, I mean, at this point, you clearly need to, like, yeah. buy the rest of that list, get them painted, give them a nice display shelf somewhere. <laughs> you know, this is the North American tournament winners. They yeah. deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah. For sure. I mean, uh, I, love, I love those models. So You kind of have to buy them now, right? And if you were to buy them, you could go <laughs> to dgsgames.com and purchase them. Or if your local game store carries them. Cha-ching! So that's our, our little segue for that. Um, day one, round one. Uh, Colin, why don't you talk about your first game? So my first game was against the other Marshall player in the tournament. 
the one game where, where it was uh, control the five points, and then I, John will kill me, but I don't remember the name of the scenario off the top of my head. Um, it's where you get like one for controlling. Yeah, I think Jennifer. so. Sorry, I don't have my reference books right in front of me. Well, we have our Jennifer, so she's a reference book. Fair enough. Um, so that game, uh, my my strategy was essentially to force my opponent to commit. So I moved the uh, I moved up into my two points, and I made it sure I was close enough that I could inter- I could jump to them if I had to. But my opponent was had two of the mounted Rickatars. Um, so he actually was faster than I was. So I, what I was trying to do was force him to commit, and then as soon as he committed the Rickatars, I made I put um, a, another model into. I had um, my secret sister and my throat seeker jumped his model holding one of his flank uh, points. He had, then went two on one versus one of the Reaver's kindreds. In the center, I forced his hand by putting the secret sister, the uh, battle sister there. And I honestly got a little bit lucky. The battle sister uh, with her B8 plus two uh, lethal weapon managed to crit the Rickator off the table in, on a single attack. So that really put him in a bad position. And then on my right flank, I actually had the Manhunter in camouflage, and I was using, I was not attacking with her. I was just leaving her in camouflage because with her unable to be targeted, there was really nothing he could do unless he got close. And if he got close, I had the Shadow Dancer, or sorry, the, Shadow, the Nemesis on that side to deal with it. And on my final location, um, he committed Rickatar to try and prevent me from scoring on my left flank. And I had a Shadow Dancer uh, behind a hill that was close enough to walk to engagement, as well as having a Rebel Maiden and a um, Untamed. So I put three on one on the Rickatar, and I actually used the technique that you use against models of sidestep where I pinned it by putting it centered between the three models. So even if he made the dodge, he couldn't use sidestep to leave the combat. And it took a couple of turns against the Rickathar to take it down, but I ended up winning that combat on the same turn that I won the combat for the far side with the um, Secret Sister and the Throat Seeker versus the uh, Reaver's Kindred. And that resulted in a pretty big swing of points. Having the far side point, and uh, the two near side points gave me five. I'd scored two earlier in the game. Um, I'm sorry, I'd scored four earlier in the game. I had the center from the crit and then my two points from early in the game. So getting five in one turn, it put me at the nine to win the game relatively early. I think it went out on like turn four or five. That is pretty fast. My game didn't go as well as that. Um, what about you? You were undefeated. That's right, I was undefeated. Um, Andrew, tell us about your first game. Yeah, so my first game, I, I played BJ. Uh, he was running an Urdegar list, uh, same scenario, obviously, domination. Uh, and actually, they released the lists, uh, I'm going to say the night before, uh, or your opponent, they listed, released the list a couple days before, and your opponent the night before. And that was actually a list I was kind of excited to play. I thought it was going to be easy for me. Uh, just based on construction, um, things started off kind of hot and cold. I I only hit with one of my shots and didn't even win with that one in the first turn, which I needed to kind of even up the numbers. He vastly outnumbered me. 
Um, and then, uh, lo and behold, uh, uh, he kind of walked uh, right into the, the kind of like I was trying to set with my leader. I got that spell off that raised the, the um, his melee attack rating by two dice levels, so he's a D4 16. And his Berserker charged me. Berserker, they naturally are minus two defense in me. So I didn't even have to use my bird to lower lens to use an extra attack. Uh, ended up killing his Berserker straight off. And then that's basically when any of my luck ended. And he absolutely steamrolled me in the rest of the game. <laughs> so uh, I did not win that game. Not even close. And were you, uh, his, you guard, thought you were going to uh, win that game, though, in the beginning, right? Oh, I, I, I was fairly confident just going into it that uh, I would have a good shot of winning that game, and uh, it did not turn out that way in any stretch of the imagination. It, he completely dominated me through the rest of the remainder of that game. Do you wish that you would have bought some snowshoes since he did? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that was probably just the distinct the, 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 yeah, the turning point was the snowshoes. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're gonna pop back up to it's, Colin. Uh, um... Colin, what right, can so you tell us round... about round two? Round two, I had uh, Brad, and he was running a mixed mounted, dismounted Grular, um with a Durzical armed Corcon. Um, I'll be honest, we, we attempted the scenario and both of us pretty much failed miserably in trying to get scenario points, so it became uh, a brawl. Um, it was a it was a good game. I really enjoyed playing against him. Uh, he committed a Marauder a little too early and lost a Marauder to uh, an early hit, which really put him on his back foot. And it's kind of, it almost turned on me like what it did to, um, to Andrew game one. Where I got an early hit, and then over the course of the game, it started to turn. Um, I got a couple things, he got a couple things, and it really came down to the end. Um, I managed to drop, like, the last follower I needed, but I was one model drop from breakpoint myself. So it, it really was a, an ugly win at best. Um, but it, it really came down to just trying to... To not let him get the momentum back. I, I took the momentum away getting the, the early Marauder, and then I got an Impaler, and then I started clanging off the armor for every hit for probably four turns. Just could not get through no matter what I did, no matter who I hit, and it started turning on me. But I got fortunate in that I had enough of an early life point lead that he couldn't quite sustain it. Uh, one interesting thing that happened, so he brought the Durzacool for his uh, his Corcon, and he I forced him in a position where he had to move the Corcon um, beyond his speed rating, or he was going to be in real trouble. He's going to take a multi-charge, and it it made it so he only got to use the the uh, summon for one turn, and I I had eluded the summon using uh, elusive an elusive model. I want to say it was the Night Whisperer, but not certain anymore if it was the Night Whisperer who did it. Just to prevent um, him from getting a lot of value out of that. And that's one thing I, I've seen people using in Durza Cool, and I, I fall in the trap myself, is you put it out there, and then you realize I've now kind of given, I've hobbled a strong model. 
So it's something to be careful with, especially um, a model that just can't contribute another way. So a model with a range attack might not be such a big deal, but using with on a model that uh, can only melee, now you can't move more than half your speed, or you're going to lose the value of that weapon. Yes, so you really want to think about who you're going to put it on, because for those of you that don't know, the Durza Cool is a... Uh, is an item that allows you to summon a Zacharlash and the ways to get around that Zacharlash is to, I believe it's to cause a wound to the bearer or make him move farther than half of his basic move value. And then what's the other one? There's three ways. Uh, kill the Zacharlash? Probably just kill the Zacharlash. That's probably why I don't remember it. Um, so having a melee fighter, especially your leader that you want up front in the battle, if, if you don't get them up there quickly before you summon and you summon too soon, you're just going to lag behind your whole army. In a standard Grular list running a Warlock, they have the ability, the caster, to summon their own Zycrolash each turn. Another spell that I really love to see out of them is the Shadow Mind, where if you fail a test, you end up attacking yourself with all of your weapons. Did you ever get that cast against you? I did. He actually did hit me with that. Um, one of the things that, in that particular case, helps me in some ways, Eclipse have basically little to no armor. So anything that hits me is already going to probably wound me. And um, their weapons, they tend to just have one hard-hitting weapon rather than a, like multi, multiple attacks. So while he did get it off, he got a wound through with it, I believe, but it wasn't enough to necessarily turn the tide. Yeah, I've had that cast against some of my harder-hitting units, and it can be brutal. Especially if they have multiple attacks. Yeah, I've seen it used on a Berserker before. Ooh, that's ugly. Yeah, it wasn't good. So for your, for your second game, um, what, how did you... You won by uh, breaking them, right? Uh, yeah. And I you were... By, I think I, I won all... The other two games, I both won by break. Gotcha. Because of my complete inability to roll scenario points. Huh. All right, um, Andrew, let's talk about your round two. Yeah, round two, uh, I fought uh, Zoltan. Um, that was his username. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, he was running a pretty well-balanced black rose list. Um, uh, kind of the setup, the board we were on, there was a big long wall over a long portion of it. And then there was kind of a... Well, I don't remember right, there's some sort of obstacle on the other edge, so there's kind of a funnel point. Uh, a lot of our fighters met in the middle and kind of duped um, it out. He failed a couple, I didn't get bad luck on a couple dodge rolls. Uh, my shooting eventually, the Black Rose, if you don't make the dodge rolls, because the shooting, they, they have pretty light armor and it, it can start to add up and over the course of the game that, that really started to do a, a lot of damage on his units uh, and I ended up winning that game by um, break. So the it seems like your shooting has done pretty well for you. Uh, yes, game two, it, it really started to turn around. Game one, it was, I don't think I did any wounds with my shooting, but uh, game two, it definitely uh, kind of reverse course and started kind of evening out those odds. All right. Um, let's talk about game three of day one. This was the final game of the first day. Yeah. And that was the uh, treasure hunt scenario. Uh, I played against Irving Armitage's demon list, 
it's a, a relatively typical demon list with his Alucard leader, uh, Morkul caster. He did have two of the Ventrax and two of the Carbazals, a Bogart and a Scrot, which is uh, a little heavier on the heroes than I normally see. Lots of wounds, though, because those Carbazals having four wounds, are they're tough. Um, this game was, uh, honestly, I, I played against a lot of demons, and if the demon player doesn't play against a lot of Eclipse, I, I usually find the demon players have a hard time with Eclipse. Um, I, I, again, utterly, both of us actually, utterly, fa- utterly and completely failed. We didn't find a single treasure marker the entire game. Huh. Neither player. Despite the number of times we attempted. That map was pretty difficult, too. It, it was, but you think, I think both of us rolled at least five or six times, including with leader models, and did not find a single treasure marker. So we just kind of started ignoring this, the scenario outright. Um, where the, there's two places where the game really turned. Um, the first one was he charged the two Ventrax into my lines, and that's really what I'm looking for as an Eclipse player to try and deal with it. Because one of the things I will do is just accept the charge, and then I will I would walk or I did walk followers anybody into the back arc of those Ventrax, and then I'll walk the char- the charge target out using a break off action. Because those Ventrax are engaged from behind, they cannot make a reaction attack. And I'll deny them their charge, and then I'll lock them in melee, and because they have no dodge, they really rely on that. Yeah, you know, I'm hoping they'll fail to hit and run, and in this case, he did. Um, and he, re- he really relies on that uh, nimble to get their seven defense to keep them alive. So once they got locked in melee, I basically collapsed three or four models onto each Ventrax. Uh, my nemesis, my shadow dancer, uh, my battle sister, and a couple of followers, you know, across the two of them. And I killed both Ventrax essentially in a turn. Ouch. The turn following the they, one they charged in. Uh, I then also followed up, I, uh, one of the Carbazals went down a flank, and it got charged by uh, the Secret Sister along with a Rebel Maiden and a, um, Rebel Maiden and a, uh, what's the word, um, Untamed. And the Untamed and Rebel Maiden, I think two of the three of those actually failed their fear checks, but I was taking his defense down to two. So he ended up taking, I think, three or four hits that turn, and he went down the following turn. Um, so he lost, you know, three of the heroes very early. Um, and then game kind of dragged for a little while. And towards the end of the game, I managed to get four models in melee with his um, his more cool, and he just kept racing through all of the hits and got stuck there for like three turns running while the uh, the Night Whisper kept dancing with the Zalakar. I would force him to engage her and then back off by one, you know, by one and a half inches. And I, I would just put her in the way and be obnoxious until it would have been one more turn. And he, like, if we had gone one more turn without breaking, he would have had the Zalakar breaking up the fight with all the more cool stuff. But the more cool finally went, failed the race and went down. So you ended up winning that one by uh, breakpoint. Yeah, I, I couldn't. No, nobody apparently could find treasure on that map because I know I couldn't, and I know he couldn't. Maybe there was no treasure at all. Maybe there was. Maybe the treasure was a lie. Yeah, the cake is a lie. That's right. 
All right, Andrew, uh, tell us about your final game. Uh, yeah, for day one, I ended up uh, playing uh, Rob Gendron, uh, who I believe he's a pretty new player out of Michigan. I think he said it was like his third game of all time or something like that. Yeah, I also uh, played him. Very, very new. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, very, very friendly, very good guy. Um, he was running a very well-balanced Urdegar list. Uh, he was running the standard Wolf Carl leader, uh, the uh, the Bear Mystic caster, one Lioness, one Night Hunter as a shooter, Boar Warrior, a Berserker, an Unproven follower, Hunter follower, Slinger follower. Uh, second hunter follower and one of the newer uh, followers, the K Oral, uh, who are very one of my favorite miniatures out there by DGS. Um, and uh, so my strategy, we we were running that on the map with four buildings kind of in the center. I think we a lot of us were I uh, didn't play maybe the right maps <laughs> for all our games, uh, and. I didn't find a single treasure marker either. So, uh, uh, but Rob found two. My general strategy was uh, the Urdegar pretty fast. If he starts pulling loot markers, I'm either going to have to pull uh, treasure markers as well, or I'm going to have to break him. Uh, eventually, he found two, but he couldn't find a third or fourth loot marker, and I couldn't find any markers. Um, so eventually, it bogged down kind of in the middle. Uh, with a lot of hack and slash and uh, eventually I was able to break him on the very last round of combat with one of the last rolls of the game I believe Matt Bunny and I already kind of buzzed into our game and said hey this is the last turn uh, and I needed quite a big roll from one of my heroes and I got it which was able to break one of his heroes otherwise uh, I w- it would have been a tie game, and uh, so for newer players, you know, uh, he's third game of all time, and he almost had me in a draw. Yeah, him and I played, and we also ended in a draw in the first round. Yeah, yeah I, I liked his list construction, and gives you a lot of flexibility, and uh, uh, he, he played it well. Yeah, that third round, the buildings with the four buildings basically making a cross in the middle of the town was really, really difficult and unforgiving for some lists. Yeah, that, that was, uh, uh, it ruined a lot of my sight lines, you know, lost my heroes. Not only were there the four buildings, but there were also the... The carts? I want to say it was like huge kegs or casts or something and carts. Uh-huh. Carts that ruined a lot of sight lines. Um, and I got really lucky. I was able to summon my summon creature, uh my ancestral warrior a couple times to uh, block uh, he was bringing his he brought his night hunter around the backside who would have uh, it was, my caster was kind of back by himself a little bit and the shooting from the night hunter would have done a lot of work had I not fortunately succeeded on those um, rolls two turns in a row to keep the night hunter at bay in, uh, in my game I ended up finding five of the six treasure markers and uh, my opponent got one, and I got all. I think I think I got four off the board in one turn. Did you very wisely use your caster and the Tanar's eerie spell and just send them back with that loot marker? Uh huh. I did. My opponent was like, "Is that legal?" Oh. <laughs> it is like the one time that Haradel really, really 
shines despite being slow. Normally, yes, yeah, it's legal. Yeah, we didn't. I think in my game, we didn't get in a single round of hand to hand. My archers were just shooting, and he was shooting, and then my stalker was right in the middle of Main Street, plinking them all the way down because um, I was giving him the plus two RAR, and he was just knocking them out left and right. So, uh, Colin, on your day one, um, what was your probably your your best part of the day, and what was your low of the day? Um, I'd say the best part in, in terms of gameplay-wise was the pulling the switch on the two Ventrax and locking them in place. Um, but if you take it in a bigger sense, my best part of the day was just playing some free plays with people because I really love the game. That's why I'm a quester. That's why I help build the community in my group. So really, I, I just wanted to play some games. <laughs> yeah, I can empathize. Um, and your low gameplay low point for me was when I started just going off the armor over and over again against the, the Grular because I spent I think three turns one one kill away from breaking him and I just couldn't get through the armor and it's not even like a spectacular armor it's not like I'm playing as Herodellans I just couldn't get to the threes and fours that can definitely be demoralizing um Andrew, what about you? What was your high point of day one, and what was your low point? Uh, I'd say the high point probably would have been about second, beginning of second, uh, mid-second round in game one where I got to use the multiple split attacks that I was hoping to pull off at some point during the day. And then the, the low point would be how bad BJ uh, dominated the rest of that game. So I'd say game one from a game, game plan perspective <laughs> uh, would be high and low. Uh, starting off high and then very low because uh, I think BJ and I had played once maybe in a campaign this summer and I think it was a pretty good game but he clearly won that game uh, from nine gameplay perspective I thought it was a real fun time playing Rob and just seeing him work through as a new player working through his options and kind of learning uh, how to go about things and um, trying to help him see some of the options uh, in a tournament setting. Yeah, and like I've mentioned before, I think every tournament that I've witnessed Freeblades being played in, there's been at least one or two new players in there. And that's pretty amazing. That's pretty sweet. It's one of my favorite things. I love when there's a couple of them and that first round they can be against each other and have, you know, one more game behind them where they understand the mechanics and everything a little better. But, you know, I came into it having never played a tabletop game of this type at all. You know, I played like Clue and Monopoly, and uh, I came out to a tournament, and it was one of the best things I ever did. So yeah, I, I really like that too. Um, it's so my second round player, Brad. He's actually from a relatively new meta. He's he's helping build it right now, and he played very well. It was interesting though, because part of it is he his group was just a small group that's trying to pick the game up from the rule of pure. They don't have an experienced player to teach them. So there's a few things that, that I was helping explain to them mid-game, and, and not in a mean way, not trying to kick with gotchas, just here's something that maybe you guys didn't understand. And it, it was a very fun experience, and I hope he enjoyed it. Uh, he was a really good player, and I look forward to seeing him again on a board. Yeah, it can be very difficult if you don't have somebody that really knows how to play the game around you. So you feel like you're learning the rules in a vacuum, and you're hoping you're interpreting what they're meaning. Um 
So it was useful for me to go through and watch the DGS 101 videos that are on the YouTube site. So with day one wrapping up, the standings were, let's see, it was obviously U2. And then we had, um, well, actually it wasn't you, Andrew Potter. Um, it, no, it was not. <laughs> it was not you. Um, it was Andrew Triple, um, Colin, CJ, and uh, Kevin. Oh, it was Irvin. Okay. Uh, so Irvin was unable to compete in day two, but we kind of knew that going into it. And so with Irvin making the top four and stepping down, that bumped the fifth place person up, which happened to be Andrew Potter. So uh, we knew going into day two who uh, what lists were going to be in there. Did they announce the their opponents that day or did they announce them on Sunday? They announced them that day. Okay. So when you guys went home, what was going through your mind about your first game, Colin? I, I wrote myself off. And I, I mentioned earlier, um, so um, for those who are not intimately familiar with Eclipse, Eclipse as a whole have very low armor. They have good defense, but low armor. And my list was built very much around the parry skill. So between low armor and relatively few dodge um, skills, going in against a list with five shooters, four of which are D10 hero level shooters, I grant you his leader is a hero, but it's only a D6, so I'm less concerned there. Um, quite frankly, I knew that barring absurdly good dice on my part or absurdly bad dice on his, I probably was done. And who did you play first? On day two? Uh-huh. I, Andrew. Andrew Potter. Uh, oh, haha. So going, going in against Andrew's list with his four, his four hero-level shooters who, in a lot of ways, Marshall is set up almost perfectly to defeat Eclipse, in my opinion, because between their... Their access to hero level, as in D10 or better, raw shooters with good range. They have a 30 inch range um, that also have the same speed as me. So they they kind of bend the, the armor versus speed ratios in the game. Generally speaking, if you're not Marshal or Kuzarik, there's a direct relationship between your armor rating and your speed. Where armor rating, uh, armor value of two and three, or speed seven, armor value of four and five, or speed six, armor value of six plus, or speed five. Kazarik all, all have the speed five, and the Marshall are on the other end, they all have speed seven. So, where I usually have a speed advantage, I have no speed advantage against Marshall. You put on top of that the fact that they can have such a shooting advantage on me with four shooters at D10, I can't cross the board on him. We, we follow up with, if I charge into him, he gets a reaction shot, can stand still, and get to go first in combat. And if I have parry, I can't parry an arrow. I don't have missile parry. And then we top it all off with the fact that his entire faction has quick, which means they ignore the first person um, for pylon. Well, my, my entire list strategy is for setting up uneven fights, which really relies on the pylon mechanic. So... In almost every possible way, it, and, and it's not all, it's, there are Eclipse builds that can deal with what he was running, but I wasn't running one of those. So in almost every possible way, his 
his list had like the counter to the, my strategy. All right. So uh, hearing that, Andrew, why don't you tell us some of your thoughts and don't necessarily talk about the game itself because I want you guys to express it. And then we're going to go back to Colin to talk about his side of how we saw the game. And then we'll go to Andrew to talk about his side. Uh, yeah, going into the game, I thought Colin had a pretty well-balanced list. I've only played against Eclipse a few times, so I wasn't uh, that sure how things would play out. Um, I like the Shadow Dancer and the Nemesis. I love those models because of their blade dancing abilities. Uh, I've run a lot of uh, uh, Trillion Blade Dancers and uh, the Duelist a lot and the, the Black Rose faction. Um, and uh, even the Black Thorn from time to time. Uh, the Night Whisper, um, I've always, I don't know if I've played against one, maybe once or twice. I've always really liked that model a lot, what it can do. Um, Secret Sister, I wasn't that familiar with, but the Enhanced Disguise, I knew that could come to play with the Ambush. Also, and the Battle Sister, she's a really intriguing model. Uh, just because of how much different she operates with actual defensive and in armor stats uh, for and these that she clips. stole from the Trezorites. That's what she, uh, she liberated. She liberated. Yeah, and I think she all she uh, she does like plus two damage is normally I think on her. Oh, yeah, which is so, uh, really good. <laughs> yeah, Sokka Z's D8 plus one on its own, and then she's got a strength of D10, so she rocks around the D8 plus two. Yeah, so if she charges, she's doing D8 plus three, which is nuts. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I really like all the models he was choosing, um, and I really don't play the Beast Hunt scenario very often. Um, uh, I think oof, I don't even remember last time I played it. The which the entire point, uh, the way you win by objective in that game is uh, your little person who puts the last wound on the beast. And I think the goal that comes with like ten wounds and like I heard five with a D fourteen endurance or something crazy. So you got to put a lot of wounds on him. Uh, from my list matching up against Collins. Um, the Eclipse being uh, high mobility kind of movement shenanigans kind of list, uh, similar to the Black Rose or the Black Thorn. I knew if I could hit with my shooting, which I had a lot of, it, it would be difficult for him. Uh, my primary concern going into the game was making sure I didn't walk into an ambush snafu, which I should have reread the rules because while since I played, and uh, he kind of almost pulled a pretty devastating ambush off on me. And um, oh, I guess we can jump into that, talk about the game itself. Uh, but from uh, just going into the game, his list, uh, I knew I'd, I think his battle stage was probably better than any of my fighters, besides maybe my leader. Um, but it, I mean, if, um, so. I wasn't really sure how it was going to go. All right. So, Colin, you've deployed on the table now. Tell us what you uh, thought about the game. Um, it, it went more or less like I thought it would. I tried to, because John added the extra tiebreaker in there of most wounds to the big guy, um, I tried to prevent him from having just a, a field day of shooting at it, um, which worked somewhat. And then I, I 
I uh, messed up later on and, and got myself broken by having my leader smash. But um, I did have one real opportunity to try and turn the game. I know that's kind of where Andrew was referring to, where I caught his mender out of position and I managed to get my secret sister and um, throat seeker in on the mender uh, out of ambush. Unfortunately, and this comes back to the, the lovely quick, they both rolled a four uh, against his defensive five because he used the staff defensively, as he should. Um, so my chance to drop the mender outright went to nothing. Um, and then he, I had also had uh, the Shadow Dancer in ambush. So he brought in both of the Reaver's Kindred back to hell. And he managed to, I brought the Shadow Dancer over in that fight. And he managed to crit the Shadow Dancer off the table in one attack. Secret Sister went down a turn later. Um, at which point I was essentially just bleeding models to his shooting. Um, I did get a couple of wounds in, but I, honestly, I, I'm not even sure I dropped a single model that game. That's a little sad. Yeah, that, that's... And he, Andrew kind of referred to it a little earlier about how PTS dice can be hot and cold. Um, his were not immensely hot necessarily they were probably what i call about average he missed he hit he did lots of things mine were um mine were really cold and that's okay it was still a good game i still enjoyed my game against you andrew so it's not hard feelings at all so andrew yeah and at one point i felt pretty bad because your dice were epically cold it was yeah i mean it was yeah it was Sometimes you feel bad for winning by dice rolls because they were so bad for your opponent. Yeah. And that's sometimes... Yeah, because, I mean, he... Yeah. He, had, uh, he pulled off the ambush and should have had my caster and then just unbelievably bad luck there, which was, I think, a huge turning point in the game. Yeah. Uh, if I lose my caster, it eliminates some of my options. And... Um, I realized later my mistake... And, that, and my mistake was um, I put the wrong model into that ambush uh, with my... So I used Void Door earlier in the game thinking I'd get the, the Shadow Dancer across the table uh, without being shot at, which is a good thing to do. But if I thought a little bit more clearly because of the quick, I should have put a, uh, an Untamed in there. And if I brought an Untamed to that fight, I actually would have dropped the caster. Because the Untamed would have counted as two, which would have gotten me the one defense off. That would have let me drop the caster. And if I had done that, you would have been taking uh, three or four um, panic checks, likely missing one, because they were all out of range of his leader. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a game where you can't There were a lot of rolls where you missed by one, and I think it's like the Eclipse need the uh, plus one dice roll spell. Well, the Eclipse has one that's actually, in generally speaking, better, but it didn't help me in your in our game. Um, they have a, a spell called Stabilize, which allows you to replace any one die roll with a four. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, um, I don't need fours against you. I need fives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, I also like when I go out, walked into the void wall. <laughs> The uh, uh, Golat walked into his void wall and then uh, 
that kind of randomizes where you show up and wound up in combat with his guys instead of my guys. Yeah, there, there were some mistakes made. I, I, thinking back, there were a couple of tricks I could have pulled differently. But all in all, Andrew played a fantastic game. Um, and between that, I, I can overcome a bad player if I'm having a bad dice day. And I can, um, and on an average dice day, I feel like I'm, I can play at the level of a good player. But I don't think I can beat a good player on a bad dice day. There's just no combination that, that wins that. And Andrew's fantastic. So it, it wasn't going to happen. So at the end of your second game, um, or the end of your first game on day two, you didn't have to do the packing up your miniatures of shame, though. All you had to do was hit the uh, X button. Yep. Uh, I did get to flip the table. I felt a little better. Nice. I, I didn't, I've never flipped the table, so I don't even know what it does. Does it really send the stuff flying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's fine. I think we flipped the table at the end of every game I play. Huh. Um, you can't do it in real life. You might as well do it in digital. Yeah, you might get punched in the face if you flip a table with somebody's painted models. Yeah. I'm not condoning violence. Please don't take it as that. <clears throat> so, Andrew, you won your first game of day two. So that sent you going into the finals. And the other table was also Eclipse, but it was Equi Eclipse versus Herodellin. And, man, that was a, a good game to watch. We were on pins and needles watching it happen. Oh, so speaking of that, for one, because, of course, it was Andrew Triple and Andrew Potter, and it confused the heck out of me for just a moment, I wanted to play against that Herodellin list because that's the kind of list that my list really excels against. So I was excited for like one moment until I matched the names correctly, and then I was just very crestfallen. Huh. So yeah, we were we were wondering if it was going to be an eclipse on eclipse action for the final round. That made Julie happy. Julie was hoping. Yep. So uh, Andrew, why don't you tell us about the final game? Yeah. So the final game uh, was against Andrew Triple. Uh, Running his hair down list in the frontier scenario. Uh, for those uh, people who are not familiar with the frontier scenario, it's one of the newer ones, I believe. Um, there's three objectives kind of evenly uh, set up across the center line of the table, one in the, in the exact center and then two kind of equidistant between there and each side of the board. Uh, and then you kind of can win by objectives by holding those those objectives without enemies within six inches of you for in an end phase. Uh, so kind of Andrew's list, he was running something that I've only encountered, I think, once before. At, I want to say the Bug Eater Tournament in Omaha. I think somebody was running a mounted lights, mounted knights list, and Herodellins are really one of the lists that I'm not that familiar with. I've, I don't own any. I don't own any of them. I've never run any of them. Uh, but I do know that the mounted knights hit like a ton of bricks, and you do not want to be the re recipient of a charge from them. I think the only time I faced them before I was running my uh, Trillion Blade Dancer list with uh, Blade Rider first dismounted and two regular hero uh, dismounted Blade Riders from the Trillions who they come with longbows and are good shooters and then they have the Blade Dancer rule uh, which allows you to and as that leader is also 
an alternative leader allows you to take the alternative leader rule, which once per game you can flip the initiative and choose the initiative order. Uh, so you definitely want to go second when you're running that kind of a list. Um, so previously when I encountered the double knights, or at least one knight, um, mounted knight, uh, my tactic to deal with them was, well, just let them charge in a turn where they go first, and then I blade dance out of combat uh, on my turn, and then their charge is wasted, and you just end two inches away or something, which won't allow them to get their charge in the next turn, and you get a free shot at them at that point, too. Uh, but I wasn't running a blade dancer list, so I was pretty nervous on how I was going to handle two of them, one being his uh, leader, so an extra wound, better uh, running a D12 Mar. For people who are unfamiliar, I believe those knights, uh, when they count as charging, they can re-roll, they can roll two dice, select the highest on their attack and their damage rolls. Uh, so if they're rolling D12 to hit, two D12 choose the highest to hit, they're probably going to hit you, and then uh, like D8 or D10 damage. I think there might even be some bonuses on top of that. Uh, rolling two, select the highest. They're going to put a lot of hurt on whoever they charge. Um, so I was a little um, concerned about them. And as far as the rest of his list, I know he had a shooting block of uh, the infamous uh, muster archers who are very popular with, I know, John. I think he had three of them. Uh, he also had... He won't run less than three. Norcaster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you need three to hit something. And then, <laughs> uh, but when they hit, they are using longbows, I believe, so it's, it's, it's a decent weapon. Uh, so he was using the Sword of Vintner as a caster. Also, and he had a couple other... Questing knights and apprentice knights, and he also had the new, I think it was the newest model that DGS has released, uh, the Sword of Vinder, I believe it is. Yes. Uh, that was the most recent released model that was allowed to be used in the tournament. Yeah, and I knew she was a little bit different. Um, I think she's, uh, most of the knights are, she's got five defense, five armor, I think it's what it is, and maybe parry, parry one, parry two, and she's also got, like, the protector rule, which I haven't encountered too much, so I knew she was a little bit different. She uh, also had improved and, you know, armor. A little bit outnumbered as far as, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the snowshoes. Uh, so, improved armor if you're not, and the snowshoes, that was his downfall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, I had a book of knowledge or something that I never used once in the entire tournament too, so I think that evened out. Uh, but my kind of strategy going into the game was I need to hit, pick off his followers and some of his heroes before he makes contact with me or it's going to be over because he's definitely uh, outnumbers me in fight, fighting capability, just number of models, and I think in just general fighting capability. Um, I leader uh lots of his uh some of his knights come with defense five do the shield uh, if i'm trying to split my attacks it goes to a 50 percent hit attack if i'm split my attacks instead of a 75 which is a big difference um but when the, the board was lit out it had a river basically through uh 90 of the running from one corner to the other 
corner running through about 90% of the table, except for the center of the area, uh, which um, has mounted knights. The river means they can't uh, double move and charge, which greatly limited his ability to uh, charge into my characters. Uh, and then there was also a couple force features that were beneficial and then uh, kind of a, a couple of rock formations, hill-type things uh, that kept uh, some of my units a little bit safer than on a lot of tables it would have been. Uh, so my general strategy was just to uh, make a slow advance like usual, uh, trying to pick off some uh, some followers to even out the numbers and some of the heroes before we got locked into combat uh, too much. Um, and in the first turn, my shooting was pretty successful. I think I killed two of his muster archers in the first couple turns. And I think he also had a fresher uh, in there. Um, and I know it was pretty early on. I got a lucky shot, a couple, a couple lucky shots in my shooting. It took down his hero-mounted uh, knight, uh, which was very fortunate for me because I don't know if I could have dealt with both of them at the time. Um, and then things kind of, uh, I think he still outnumbered me, at least in quality on the edges. Uh, so I basically had three followers protecting the one edge, and he had, um, I was just running denial game on that side after I had done some decent damage with the shooting early on. It was just my goal to, to break him instead of winning by objective. Um, and he definitely outqualified me uh, on the one edge where I just had my three sentinels. Uh, on the other edge, I think it was uh, maybe a hero on hero over on that side. Uh, and a little bit of clumping up in the middle. Eventually his, uh, his leader kind of came towards the center objective and I was able to lock him down. Uh, uh, with, I believe, uh, Reaver's Kindred or two. Uh, and then things kind of moved into quite a few turns of <laughs> us trying to avoid being the one losing huh. and uh, not doing a lot of wounds. Uh, <laughs> I know there was at one point where on the it was on my right, the one where I think there were maybe like one hero fighting each other, and I might have had one extra guy over there. I made a calculated risk where I thought my hero was, I mean, it was a very small chance that he would be killed or run away from the combat on that side. And he was playing to win by objective. Um, and then his hero actually made my, did a wound to my heroes, just trying to play denial to that objective, keep him from scoring that objective. Because uh, you only need three points to win, and my that hero actually ended up running away, failing his morale test, and and running away for for a couple turns. Uh, so then I had to spread my units out even thinner, just keep him from winning based on that side. And then his his remaining muster archers and his um, fist of Vidnor, who uh, I can't remember the name of the spell, but it's, it's like a magical hammer. Uh, he can cast. Uh, they kept killing off all my sentinels <laughs> on the other side. So uh, I was just trying to keep somebody over there on that side. Denial. 
eventually, I know there was one point where I'm sure John was, and everybody was cringing at DGS. Uh, there was a one of the goals that I, one of the things that I discovered playing the trillion list with the all those blade riders who have the blade dancers and they're very good shooters and decent fighters uh is you definitely do not want to overshoot and so one of the goals for the tournament was to make sure i didn't fall into that trap there's one point in the game where i had one of my ricto cars i had to make a choice between counter charging or standing and shooting and I chose to stand and shoot, and after I did that, I immediately regretted it because if I had countercharged, she would have been in the six-inch denial range or three-inch denial range, whatever it is. Um, but luckily, she was able to survive that mistake. Um, and really, it went on for like three or four turns of me trying to get like one more wound on his guys to break him or him trying to beat me off of one or two, at least one objective because he was at two victory points um, and I made some pretty lucky rolls, parries and dodges and um, was able to avoid the objective win. With your list, um, you took the dismounted Richtikars how come you took them dismounted instead of mounted? Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, my overall general strategy for the list was to do slow advances, uh, utilizing my shooting, the you know four, five, six units that can shoot, depending on whether the caster summons or spirit bow or not, and um, uh, also utilizing the other spells, such as the plus one die roll or the plus two die levels on the RARs to kind of even out the other side by eliminating some of their followers and putting wounds on their heroes uh, before we met in the middle. Generally, lots of the tournament scenarios are, have some sort of center objective. Um, so since my strategy was to do slow advances, the extra speed really didn't do me as much good on the from the mounted Richter cars and then the dismounted Richter cars they also have a, a 100 defense uh which a five defense i think is a lot better than a four uh, a lot of times and then kind of one of the hinge factors in there um the campaign earlier in the summer that was on tabletop simulator i ran the sh a shock room i found that even with lots of the shock room they have a couple units that are uh, the Steel Fang and the Viperon that have the bigger base, and they have some really good dodges and parries and high agilities and stuff like that, and sidestep, all these different things that can get you out of sticky situations. But even then, I found uh, the big base just made you a lot more vulnerable to being ganged up on. Uh, so between uh, not needing the extra movement for my strategy and the extra defense, and the um, easier to avoid being ganged up on and saving a couple points. That's why I went with the dismounted Richter cars. Makes sense. I'm playing a shock room right now and realizing the bigger bases. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, they do a lot of cool things, but you got to be careful in the five games. I think I played three, five, four or five games played with them. Um, uh, I love them, but uh, you can definitely get ganged up on a lot easier. So, Colin, what kind of advice would you give to a player or basically a person that's wanting to start 
the Eclipse faction. You, wait, the new player looking at Star Eclipse needs to realize that they cannot take a straight fight. You don't want to ever allow yourself, outside of maybe the Battle Sister, to, to give your opponent a one-on-one fair fight. They really thrive with uh, those two-on-ones, those three-on-ones, those letting your opponent charge in and then stepping away so that they lose their charge bonus and you set up for a follow-on turn. And is there anything you would recommend for them to purchase outside of the um, first starter box? Night Whisper. The first the starter gives you a really good basis for that that Blade Dancer elusive type fight um, with the Secret Sister and the uh, Shadow uh, Dancer being in there. But Night Whisper gives you access to that elusive shooting. All right, and on to you, Andrew. Um, what kind of advice would you have for a new player wanting to start Michelle? Uh, yeah, so the, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but this is the first time I really ran this list. I think I played a couple games with a, a kind of a different Marshall list so a while ago, so they were still pretty new to me. Uh, this kind of a list where you are focusing heavily on units that are heroes that are Season fighters, season shooters, but maybe not the best on either one. Um, they do have a little bit of mobility advantages over a typical hero, not necessarily to the same extent as the trailing blade uh, riders, but decent fighter, decent shooter, decent movement. Uh, you definitely want to be careful about not overshooting because so many scenarios are objective-based where you need to be in the middle or you need to get somewhere to an objective. If you're shooting, you're not really moving. Um, uh, that, uh, so that would be the primary concern I think for a new player is learning when you need to decide to shoot and when you need to decide to focus more on, on movement so outside of the uh, starter box what would be the first figure you would buy um, I'd say uh, the Takar Hunter <laughs> he's not in the starter box I don't think <laughs> the one that you promoted the leader All right, and Jennifer, I'm going to ask you the question now about Haradellin. So what advice would you give to a new player, and what would be the first figure you bought aside from the starter? You know, Haradell, unlike these lists, has the advantage of being very straightforward. These are both kind of finesse lists. So Haradell, it's not so much that you can pick something that's wrong. It's more a matter of just toying with it and figuring out your play style. But personally, you know, I would be going for the Mounted Knight, Tanita Basilar. She also has the option to be a leader for your faction outside of that alternate leader role. We have the rules set up for her to be one of your your leaders. And if you run two horses, I mean, as we saw, that can just be vicious in the Andrew versus Andrew battle. When he charged in with both knights, you know, there's there's moments of fear there. So very fun model to have. Yeah, we were all watching a little like, ooh, two. It was pretty exciting. It was fun to watch. I, um, I appreciate you guys playing. Uh, I think everybody had a good time at the tournament. I didn't hear really any complaints. Um, I didn't hear of any sort of bad sportsmanship. Literally everything that I heard that was under the control of a human was great. 
And so that just is, is really hats off to the people that are playing this and that are in this community. So thanks to you. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, we, we are just starting up a campaign. Uh, Gooch is uh, leading up one. Are both of you guys going to play in it? Uh, yeah, I'm playing. Um, my list is actually up on the, uh, the tavern. I don't know what we called it. The Sleeping Grush? Uh, yeah, something Grush. I don't know. My list is actually up there right now. And what faction are you playing? I am playing Eclipse. I am uh, using a playtest model. Um, so I can't share too much until John's ready, ready to do so. But my understanding is at some point or another, more information will come out about that um, probably the next few days. Well, I got to get a game against you then, because that's like plus three AP for playing against somebody that has a playtest model. So it's, it's actually only a, a single playtest model is worth a, uh, a destiny stone. Plus three is if I was playing a whole playtest faction. Oh, uh, well, I guess I'll still take a destiny stone. But you get a free destiny stone to wave in my face. And what about you, Andrew? Are you playing? Yeah, I'll be playing. I haven't made up my mind on which uh, faction to play yet. Uh, I learned some things playing the Merfield kind of the first time in a lot of games. So I might change up that list a little bit. Or there's, uh, I do like the Bandits a lot. Or there's a couple other lists, a couple other factions I might, I'm still thinking through as well. Jennifer, are you going to actually put some uh, models on the table? I probably will, and I will probably stick with Haredale. I do uh, make it a point to play the other factions on a regular basis, but that's more... Um, we've been teaching my oldest how to play with his Trezorites, and so I've been rotating through everything that we have that's painted or now or even if it's halfway built. I'll try and put a list together just to show him some of the different things he might face. But Haredell is my tried and true, and I always fall back to it. And I am playing, and I'm going to play... Sh and I'm playing Chakram. Um, I got my first game in on Saturday night against John Cleves and um, I won because he pulled out he left and it was it was a fun game it was good um, I think it's being put up on the YouTube channel so we went through all the factors of what to do for a campaign how to roll for it how to finish up the game just as kind of a, a helper for everybody else that's out there again for those communities that don't have somebody that may know how to play you can pop on here, watch it, and see what we did, and learn from that. And that will help you be able to grow your community and make sure that you're doing things right. Because just because your local group may not know, uh, with Tabletop Simulator, you could be playing someone from another nation. And that's just pretty amazing. Yeah, and the campaign has a different feel than the tournaments. Uh, it can still be competitive, but you get a lot more storytelling elements involved. And we have a good handicap system to encourage people to keep playing, even if you lost the first few games and your free band value isn't quite as high as your opponents. There's things built in to balance that, to keep it fun, and to keep the story going. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Colin, do you have anything uh, before we close out? No. I appreciate your offer to put this together. And Andrew? I wonder if he's muted. Yeah. I, yeah. And uh, I think uh, one of the things that I don't know if it's come up yet, but uh, for the newer players, uh, you can just pick a list and start playing, and everything's so well in this game that you can have a good time. 
and uh, do well with uh, basically whatever you put on the table. So. If it doesn't do well, blame the dice. It's always their fault. Yeah. <laughs> we did hear about that in this podcast. <coughs> Call it. <coughs> I, I blame those dice just fine. Thank you. <laughs> to be fair, but I had that feeling. All right. And Jen, do you have anything before we sign out? No, I can't think of anything else to add. All right. Uh, people of Phelan, we are going to be signing out. And expect to hear from Jennifer and I here in a couple weeks. I think we're going to talk about the campaign. Uh, we'll pick another faction. If there's anything you guys would like to hear, post it up in the Tarch channel that's on the Discord group. Uh, you can reach either Jennifer or I on there. We're also in the Free Brilades players group. And you can also email Jen or you can contact her through the DGS website. So Jen, why don't you tell us real quick or give us the addresses for some of your social media. Way to reach me is artdirector at dgsgames.com because obviously I check that one constantly. Um, definitely Freeblades Players Group. Um, I'm on Discord a little bit less because my children are terrible about signing me out so that they can go play with their friends. All right, everybody. Well, thanks, Colin and Andrew, for coming on. Uh, thanks for hanging out again tonight, Jennifer. And we will see you guys later. Yep. Thanks for letting us pick your brains, guys. You're welcome. Yeah, of course. Thanks for joining us today at Tarch. You can find all your Freeblade needs at dgsgames.com. Make sure you visit the Freeblades Players page on Facebook as well. With that, we have reached our breakpoint and must back it up. Until next time, Freebladers. <laughs>